0: In July 2011, the body of 32-year-old Rebecca Zahao was found hanging from a balcony at a Coronado mansion where she lived with her boyfriend, millionaire pharmaceuticals tycoon Jonah Shachnai. Her boyfriend's brother, Adam Shachnai, reported finding her body, which had been gagged with a t-shirt and bound at the hands and feet. A strange message was scrawled in black paint on the bedroom door. She saved him. Can he save her? Zahao's death came just days after her boyfriend's six-year-old son, Max, suffered a traumatic fall at the mansion, one that was ultimately fatal. His death was ruled an accident, hers a suicide. But many, including Zahao's family, don't believe that she took her own life. They believe she was murdered. And although no criminal charges have been filed in the case, the Zahao family has filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Adam Shachnai. A civil trial is now underway in San Diego Superior Court, and we are following it. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Lauren Flynn. This is Under the Gavel. Week four of the trial has concluded, and we were lucky enough that Pauline Ruppert, our court reporter who has been with us throughout this case, she was in court with us all week. Usually, Pauline doesn't work on Mondays, but this week she worked on her day off in order to see adam Shacknai testify pauline yes hello good afternoon good afternoon to you let's just get right into it Yeah. the most exciting well the most intriguing i'd say the most intriguing day of trial happened on monday
1: Right, this was kind of a big week almost every day, but yes, Monday was a day that a lot of people were waiting for when Adam Shackney was called to the stand by the plaintiff's attorney. So in a civil case, you do have to testify e- even though it may seem like it's against your best interests, where of course mm. in a criminal trial you wouldn't couldn't be forced to. Okay. Um, but um, yeah. Adam Shackney was called to the stand and Was on there for several hours, pretty calm, pretty good at just answering the questions as he was asked Mm -hmm. and uh, not floating off into other directions. Um,
0: What kind of stuff was he asked?
1: Well, he was asked very directly by the plaintiff attorney, Keith Greer, whether he harmed Rebecca, whether he tied her up, whether he hit her on the head, whether he harmed her, whether he killed her. It was kind of a big barrage of questions Mm -hmm. that were hit all at once. And each time, um, Adam Shacknage said, no, I did not, absolutely not. Um, And just, you know, answered very simply to each one. Um, And then when his own attorney, um, Daniel Webb, had a turn, Mr. Webb asked him also directly, "Did you kill or harm Rebecca? So how did you do anything mm-hmm. to participate in her death?" And he said, "Most certainly not."
0: That was the key phrase there that was yeah, highlighted in your story,
1: right? He said that a few times. Yeah, most certainly not. Hmm. So you know, it's not a surprise that he's going to be denying sure. this. Um,
0: it would be the last thing in the world I would have expected for him to just be like, yeah, I totally did it.
1: Right, right, yeah. This would not be the time that would happen. Right. More or less.
0: Did anything particularly unusual or striking happen?
1: Well, um, he was asked you know, about his 911 call to police, mm-hmm. and that call was played at a tape recording of the 911 mm-hmm. call, and he's He sounds pretty distraught. He has kind of an odd use of words. He says, you know, I've got a girl Mm -hmm. here. Um, She hanged herself. And um, uh, actually, he he said in the guest house, which is where he'd stayed the night, Mm -hmm. um, uh, where, in fact, she was hanging from a balcony on the main house. right? And um, there was a
0: guest bedroom. So and you're, you know, he's in a. Pretty right. distraught
1: state, right? It's understandable. Um, then he stays on the phone with the dispatcher while he runs into the kitchen to get a knife, and he climbs up on a table and cuts mm. her down, and says he's giving CPR. And that the dispatcher keeps asking, "What's your address? What's your address? I can't send anybody if you right. don't tell me the address." So he runs around the front of the house to get the house numbers, runs back, and meanwhile, you know, he's still got his cell phone going, so mm-hmm. you can hear him um, while he's running, and right. and um, then. Then they transfer him to a fire dispatcher who talks him through CPR compressions mm-hmm. and breaths. And so he, um, you hear that for a while. He's counting the number, and then then he's not, and the dispatcher's saying, Are you there? Are you there? And then meanwhile, the medics have arrived, mm-hmm. and so he disconnects the phone at okay. that point. There, there was a, a little period where you hear some kind of... Um, Rickety clackety noise mm-hmm. while he's dragging a wooden table across oh, yeah. some pavers mm-hmm. to get closer to her, and you can hear one of the legs actually fall off and and hit oh, wow. the, the pavement. Oh, no. And he said in testimony that he had to stick the leg back on mm-hmm. in order to climb on the table. Right. Um, it had four legs, and and then um, the. F- the scene photos show the leg off again. Mm. I think he said it fell off again after he climbed up there. Um, Mr. Greer did make um, mention that um, the distance that Rebecca Zahao was hanging below that balcony to him didn't seem like it would have been high enough for Adam Shack to really need a table mm-hmm. to climb on to reach up with a knife and cut the rope above her head. Um, Mr. Greer said that, that her feet would have actually been dangling only like about two feet above the ground and she was mm-hmm. not a tall woman.
0: So that's like yeah, seven he, feet off the ground. He's 5'11". How long are my arms, Pauline? Because I'm about five eleven. <laughs> like, could
1: I reach? Yeah, I don't know. Well, men's arms are me? usually longer than That's, women's too. Yeah. But um, um, it. You but know, I mean, it, we that, didn't have any exact to... measurements in yeah. court. Uh, no, nobody was testifying to exactly what those measurements right. were. Um, so, in a way, it didn't really go anywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. Mr. Greer made a a point of it, and um, Adam Shacknai he didn't really pin him down too much on on just how high above his own head it was
0: Adam was asked also asked about his Family and his background? Right, um, yeah, yeah. Um, what, happened, what happened? Well, there?
1: He, he talked about his childhood, um, he and his older brother Jonah being very close, even though they're a number of years apart in age, and um, that his mother died when Adam was fairly young, that he went off kind of in his own path to to work on the Mississippi River first as a deck hand. Mm. And as he grew in experience, he came to be a, a certified pilot and captain mm. um, by rank. So apparently is good at what he does. He's mm. done it for a number of years. And his brother, of course, went off into a totally different track, totally become different. a multimillionaire in the pharmaceutical industry. Right. And Adam said that he's had a girlfriend for more than 20 years, mm. a woman named Mary Bedwell. Um, He said he never brought her to any family functions. He Mm -hmm. would often go to family gatherings for different Mm -hmm. holidays, but he never brought Mary with him because his parents wouldn't have approved the fact that she's not Jewish. Mm. So I don't know any more about that family dynamic, but he said that that she and he agreed that that's just how they would do things. Mm. Um, They also had agreed that they weren't planning to get married even after all these years. Mr. Greer raised a, a question about their relationship and, and said, you know, she's not really your girlfriend, is she? And Adam Shackney surprised everyone in the courthouse by looking out into the courtroom audience gallery mm-hmm. and calling out, Mary, are you my girlfriend? <laughs> and the woman sitting among all the people said, yes, I am weird and it caused a, a little stir i mean yeah. people behaved themselves but right. you know it was certainly an unusual event mm-hmm. and i think the defense attorney and the judge did not know what to make of this uh, yeah. you know, sudden testimony from out in the in the <laughs> galley, gallery
0: and what was why did why did keith greer ask about or why did he question what the, the legitimacy of their relationship well
1: that never came out as to what mm-hmm. his, what his point was that he might have been trying to make and mm-hmm. in fact the the um the scene kind of carried along the judge became very animated about what this woman was doing there? And mm-hmm. was she a potential witness? And if she is a potential witness, why is she sitting in the courtroom mm-hmm. listening to other testimony, which the judge did not want to be happening? Mm-hmm. The defense attorney said, Your Honor, no, she's not a witness because she's not on Mr. Greer's witness list. Mm-hmm. And um, and in fact, Mr. Greer had said that Adam Shackney would be his f- final witness before he rested his case. Mm-hmm. Mr. Greer indicated that maybe she would be a, a witness, possibly. Interesting. So the judge ordered that she be out of the courtroom then sure. the rest of the time. And he did not call her. She was not called mm. it as a witness. But that's kind of where all of that ended. It was, mm-hmm. it was quite a little commotion.
0: Adam didn't want to introduce Mary to his family for fear that she wouldn't be accepted because she was a Christian and he's Jewish. Right. But Rebecca is a, or was, or
1: we you know, said she was, told mm-hmm. her family she was a Christian. Right. And Jonah was certainly dating her. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much their parents knew about that.
0: Oh, okay. Do you have any any idea, like any speculation of why
1: that would be relevant to this case? Um, <laughs> not any legitimate opinion mm-hmm. of it. Um, he might be trying to raised the idea of a of a guy with certain frustrations that might lead him to want to attack mm. a woman who's alone with him mm. on a property nothing else that adam Shackney testified to raised any specter that he had a history of violence or right. or abuse toward anyone
0: adam was asked about what happened the morning that he found rebecca's body
1: Right. Um, and what did he yeah, say? Yeah, the the police certainly asked him everything sure. th- that he had done. And based on those conversations, he was asked in court mm-hmm. to, to detail exactly what he did and what time. Um, he said that he showered before he went to bed the night before, mm-hmm. and just to kind of get the airplane travel mm-hmm. dirt off of him. And... Then he said he'd showered in the morning as well. Mm. And Mr. Um, sort of asked him, you know, why he needed another shower and what else he'd been doing. And Adam Shack and I had to admit on the witness stand that he had been engaged in uh, self-pleasuring mm. masturbation and looking at porn mm-hmm. on his phone. And so there was quite some discussion about that. Right. He, he frankly said he was killing some time that mm. morning. That that was his answer as to why he was doing that. So yeah, it had to be an embarrassing Gosh, time on the stand sure. to, to admit doing that and mm-hmm. and um again, you know, when an attorney asks questions, they don't follow up to explain to everyone in the courtroom why they've just asked that question. Mm-hmm. You have to wait for the closing arguments mm. for them to Knit their case all together, like that. So dramatic. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but he he did say, you know, did you shower in order to clean off the residue of what you had done to Rebecca Zahow mm. earlier, um, implying a sexual assault? Mm-hmm. And of course, Adam Schag and I said, no, that is not why he showered. Mm-hmm. So by the the questions, you know, the plaintiffs get their case you mentioned and and explained Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit at a time um so again that kind of goes to the theory that adam Shacknai was sexually aroused that night Mm -hmm. acted on it killed rebecca afterwards Mm -hmm. and then took these showers to to uh, wash away any evidence of that he said after after all that, then he got dressed and he was going to head out and go to a local coffee shop, just mm-hmm. walk there. And when he walked out of the guest house, he said out of the corner of his eye, he saw something that just didn't seem right and mm-hmm. then realized that it was Rebecca hanging mm-hmm. from the balcony. He says he got on the uh, 911 mm-hmm. on his cell phone right away. Right. God, what a terrible thing. It would be a pretty horrific thing to discover in the morning if if this is the last thing on your mind yeah
0: i don't think i ever really thought of it from like that point of view Mm -hmm. i just thought of it as like thought of it from like a law and order point of view of like we're seeing the outside of right him and not in his head so Mm -hmm. i think i just like put myself myself in his right. shoes if that's actually right if you presume
1: he, that he's innocent of, right. of any wrongdoing then it's it's just a horrible thing Terrible. and on on top yeah. of the other reason that he's there is because right. his brother's child is dying at the hospital uh. Did anyone
0: else testify on Monday?
1: Yes. Keith Greer did rest his case. Adam Shacknai was the final witness for the plaintiff's case. So Mm -hmm. he's put on all the evidence that he's got to try to support his contention that Adam Shackney killed Rebecca Zahau. So the defense started on their case. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had actually taken one of their witnesses out of turn the week before. Mm -hmm. But um, this was the real start of their case. And they called a... um, a sheriff's homicide detective who had been called out to that scene mm-hmm. the morning that Rebecca was found and reported and this detective's um, assignment was to go door to door and look for any witnesses that had heard or seen anything amiss in the night mm-hmm. and she found one woman who reported having heard a woman scream mm-hmm. in the night and um, that statement has gone around and around. You know, it's been widely reported right. that uh, a woman's scream was heard. Yeah. And people who believe that Rebecca was murdered believe that that scream was her mm-hmm. uh, being assaulted and beaten right. before she strangled. Uh, however, this detective continued to testify that on later questioning, um, after after the detective found no one else in the neighborhood who'd heard that, mm-hmm. um, that she'd pieced together that it was probably some children playing mm-hmm. out out toward the front of the houses. Yeah, and the woman agreed that that is, in fact, probably what she'd heard. Right. Um. So the detective was satisfied that there had been no woman's scream in mm-hmm. the night,
0: and it's totally possible that it was. It's the middle of summer. Kids don't have to go to school. They're out late. Right. Playing.
1: Right, right. Somebody's going to scream. Yeah. Now, I don't know if, if they found those children or if somebody else said, well, I kn- I know there were children playing, mm-hmm. um, but certainly other neighbors could could hear kids mm-hmm. screaming during play and, mm-hmm. and immediately forget about it, not right. even notice it. Yeah, because it's a normal thing. Right, right. If mm-hmm. it didn't raise any alarm that a child was being harmed.
0: Right. Moving on to Tuesday. Yeah. the headline of your story says that one of three claims in the lawsuit has been dismissed. What does that mean?
1: right um, yeah that was kind of a, a a big deal for the court day and a and a, a win for the defense mm-hmm. that day um, the wrongful death lawsuit had stated three, Points are called causes of action, Mm. and one was, was, as the whole case is called, a wrongful death, that somebody took a life Mm. wrongfully. Um, The second one was battery, that Mm -hmm. um, she'd been strangled and beaten on the head and so on. The third cause of action was called conversion, Mm. which means taking somebody's property and using it for... An inappropriate or wrong thing to hmm. to misuse somebody's property. Okay, um, you, you might imagine maybe grabbing up somebody's uh, heavy tool or piece of equipment and and hitting someone with it. Mm-hmm. It could be a misuse of their property. Okay, in this case, Mr. Greer explained that the property he was alleging was misused was the long sleeve blue blue T-shirt that was found wrapped around Rebecca Zahao's neck and Mm -hmm. part of it stuffed into her mouth. And Adam Shackney had testified that he had to pull that away in order to try the CPR breaths Mm -hmm. on her, but it was still more loosely around her neck when the authorities got Mm -hmm. there. Greer was asked whether he had evidence and proof that that T-shirt belonged to Rebecca Zahao, And he literally stopped short like he hadn't considered that before and, and told the judge, no, I don't have any evidence, proof, or witnesses that that was her shirt. Wow. So the defense asked that that particular point of conversion, wrongful use of mm-hmm. property be dismissed out of the lawsuit, and the judge agreed okay. that since there was no evidence pending as to that it was Rebecca's, then you can't prove that it was hers that was misused. Mm-hmm. Um there was a second issue that's always, again, been out there in the general reporting on this case about the dress that Rebecca was wearing the day before. Right. And her little sister took a picture of Rebecca at the airport when mm-hmm. when Rebecca took Zena to the airport. And it was um, a pretty distinctive a uh, striped dress that was of a sparkly fabric and mm-hmm. then she had a little gray looked like a lightweight sweatshirt over it. Mm-hmm. And people have been reporting f- all these years that those clothes were never found. That's what I heard. That it was a mystery of, you know, how they could disappear. Mm-hmm. The defense looked at more of the crime scene evidence photos taken by the sheriff's department mm-hmm. and saw that there was a photo of the master bedroom closet, mm-hmm. and on the floor of that closet was a heap of clothing. And when they made a close-up of that clothing, the striped dress was clearly in that heap, mm. and so was the little jacket. Yeah. And they showed a blow-up in court so that we could all see it. Mm-hmm. And and a really tight blow-up showed that that striped material in the closet was sparkly. Mm-hmm. And it seemed completely conclusive that that's where the missing dress mm. was—is right in the closet where you might expect something to be that was yeah. used once or, or yeah. however many times, right. and then put in the heap for laundry.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, now, my question about both both all three items of clothing. Then, mm-hmm. uh, well, first was the sparkly dress a part of the the uh, claims in the lawsuit, um, or is well, that just that was, another?
1: It was sort of implied too in the conversion that it was okay. both pieces of clothing gotcha. that that were wrongfully used, um, and you know that was supposedly a, a big mystery of where would her clothing right. disappear to, and, totally, and how could I mean, even on the theory that Adam killed her, where did he take that dress to? Mm-hmm. And, and you could imagine that there was evidence of of the crime on that dress, totally.
0: And if if. If someone had killed her and gone out of the way to dispose of her clothing mm-hmm. in such a way that they were never found again. Right. Who's to say that they didn't also dispose of gloves or other mm-hmm. towels that they wiped down their fingerprints with. But right. if those are there, then it seems more plausible that the gloves and potent- like <laughs> the imaginary hypothetical gloves mm-hmm. and other things aren- don't exist either. Or have weren't disposed of with that dress because that dress is there. That's my theory. That's my <laughs> <laughs> that's me connecting the dots. At least I don't know if that's official. Right. Well,
1: one can certainly imagine all kinds of clothing and and evidence disappearing under mm-hmm. under that theory. Right. Um, there's there's no evidence of it. <clears throat> so a jury that's looking for evidence of something wouldn't find that.
0: Mm-hmm. My second question is. So now that that has been dismissed, what does that mean for the case for um, well, the lawsuit? Just,
1: yeah, it, I mean, in a way, it doesn't mean a great deal. The wrongful death and battery are certainly far more serious mm-hmm. than, you know, what did you do with a dress? Right. Um, so, so those are the primary allegations here, and those stand. And the jury will be asked to look f- for whether... Um, there was evidence mm-hmm. to support those allegations yeah. those causes of action is the
0: conversion though is that used did did the plaintiffs use that as a way to sort of like support the wrongful death or is it like there's you know they want x number of dollars and here are the three things they want it for mm-hmm. and is convert um, so now that conversion is out let's say the the plaintiffs win this case then the, the amount of money go down?
1: Not likely. Okay. I, I, I think that the plaintiffs would argue for um, to compensate the family, the mother and the sister, for their loss, mm-hmm. uh, lost um, support. Rebecca mm-hmm. did occasionally give money to her parents, her mother, mm-hmm. for support. Um, emotional distress Mm -hmm. of of losing her, those sorts of things. And certainly there would be an argument, you know, that you've got to punish this person. um, Mm -hmm. And the only punishment at hand in a civil case is money. So if you believe that Adam killed her, what price do you put on Rebecca's life? Mm -hmm. Um, So the hope for the plaintiffs would be, you know, a considerable amount of money. If if for no other reason that the cost of this case for the plaintiffs is enormous, yeah. bringing in all these experts Absolutely. from across the country, paying them very large hourly fees mm-hmm. to sit in San Diego and to be on the stand mm-hmm. and to um, stay overnight, those right. sorts of things.
0: And I'm assuming Keith Greer has been their attorney for years now. Or they've yeah. paid attorneys yeah. for years trying to get this case to go to court.
1: Right. The defense did ask for the other causes of action to be dismissed as well. Um, they just, the judge did not go along with that. She thought that there, there was uh, enough evidence for a jury to have something to chew over and decide mm-hmm. on with, with the wrongful death and battery, that there had been enough question from the knot tying and the handwriting mm-hmm. experts Um and and other, you know, knives and blood and that sort of thing, Mm. that that there was something there for a jury to decide. Otherwise, the judge could have dismissed the whole thing right Mm -hmm. there. After they were done with discussing the actual lawsuit itself and dismissing the charges, then the next person to testify was the sheriff's lead forensic evidence technician. She took, like, something like 12,000 photographs of the crime scene as well. I Um, saw that she was
0: like at the scene for 24 hours straight. Right,
1: right. Yeah, I guess most of the crime scene evidence people were there Mm -hmm. from, um, well, the call was made at
0: 6.30,
1: and so everybody started assembling after that, and Mm -hmm. they worked straight through the afternoon, night, into the morning. They testified that they left, the guest bedroom for last they did the courtyard first and and um so it was you know like after midnight when they were finally working in that guest bedroom Mm -hmm. um collecting the evidence
0: she also mentioned she talked about the blood on the knife that has previously the plaintiffs witnesses have suggested were was menstrual blood because there were no cuts found on Rebecca's body anywhere.
1: Right, none that would account for enough blood that Mm -hmm. would be on that knife. Um, This forensic evidence technician agreed that there was blood on the handle of Mm -hmm. that, but she disagreed that the only possible source had been menstrual blood. She said there was an oozing burn wound on one of rebecca's fingers and it did clearly show up in the uh, um sheriff's evidence photos mm. a close up of quite a black mm. burn on there and um this expert said it was oozing still at mm. that time whether it was oozing enough to have been on the handle and um I know mr greer questioned her of why why if you were holding a knife naturally how would a little blood on the inside of your middle finger get on the very, very end of the handle that you yeah. wouldn't normally be putting the handle of a knife between your fingers in that manner. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was no solid explanation. Obviously, this woman couldn't explain exactly how that could happen other mm-hmm. than just handling a knife. You know, it It. it that it could happen Hmm.
0: that's interesting Mm -hmm. who else did we hear from on tuesday
1: um there was also a sheriff's criminalist who collected evidence um his specialty is trace evidence which means footprints Mm. shoe prints car tire prints chemical traces fiber hair Mm -hmm. um in arson fire debris cases that sort of Mm -hmm. thing um, so he he was asked to testify about the balcony floor, which was very dirty, mm-hmm. and he said he was able to clearly see two foot two sets of bare footprints on the balcony and two that were just on the balcony from the door of the room and another set that were closer to the edge of the railing. Mm-hmm. Uh, He also discovered the boot print that was pretty quickly identified as belonging to a certain Coronado police officer. Mm. Um, So um, investigators have have said that the footprint seemed to indicate that she, would with her feet bound, had stood at at one point on the balcony and then hopped forward to put herself near the railing and that it was mostly the toe prints that were seen in that second right. set, um, which would suggest her rising up on her toes mm. to go over. Mm. And then the, the last thing that happened that day was a um, tape-recorded deposition, a videotape deposition of Zaha's former husband, Neil Nalepa, And he described how they had met in Bible college in Austria and how they eventually married. Um, They came to the United States and moved about to several cities. And he discussed that she was having extramarital affairs in several of those cities um, and that a couple of their moves were prompted by that so that she could get away from this other person and they would make Mm. another attempt at making their marriage go. But. Um, It was clear from his line of discussion that the marriage was definitely faltering after a while, Mm -hmm. that they kept trying and they would get back together and move again. Um, They lived in Colorado and Washington and Pennsylvania Mm. and um, Arizona and um, all different places um, before they divorced. Um, he, He also said that he thought, money was very important to Rebecca because she had been raised in such poverty mm-hmm. that she was very concerned about having the money that would would mean security to mm-hmm. her, mean food on the table right. and so on. Um, the implication there would perhaps be why she w- would choose a very wealthy man for mm-hmm. her next relationship.
0: Yeah. And the extramarital affairs kind of paint a picture of a less than ideal woman.
1: There was also testimony from a fingerprint expert. It was at the time the sheriff's latent forensic print examiner, fingerprint Mm. examiner. And so while the defense team has been saying right along that no fingerprint evidence, no DNA put Adam With any of the pieces of evidence, um, this latent print expert was the one who got on the stand and and verified that as Mm -hmm. as testimony, and that was in fact her testimony that she's the one who dusted the surfaces in the bedroom, Mm -hmm. uh, dusted the bed where the rope was tied off to, dusted the balcony doors, Mm -hmm. dusted the door frame leading into the bedroom, dusted knives that were found in the bedroom, and of. Uh, of all the prints that she lifted off those surfaces, not one of them belonged to Adam Shacknai, but Rebecca Zahau had at least one print on virtually all of those surfaces mm-hmm. and, and some more.
0: She also said that she found fingerprints and that many of those prints belonged to Rebecca.
1: Right, right. Did she
0: say who else the fingerprints belonged
1: to? Um, she found no other matches at all mm. of, of the prints that she lifted that day that um, some were um, not usable, that you, you just couldn't tell whose they might right. be. But but she didn't um, positively ID any third parties mm. at all. Um, a few that seemed um, almost usable, she thought were usually good for one of Rebecca's fingers or another, oh, Okay, but couldn't couldn't be sure mm-hmm. uh, of it. So, so she didn't find Jonah's fingerprints or... Right, right. And she tests. she um, powdered things that she thought would have been used by somebody doing the things that were done, mm-hmm. tying the rope around the bed. Mm-hmm. So she dusted the areas of the bed frame, which was metal, mm-hmm. um, that she thought a person might logically touch right. and... And the door frame, too. Mm -hmm. Um, She most definitely, as she said, did not dust everything in the whole house. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a pretty big house. Right. It was a big house. And not every room seemed involved Mm -hmm. with the death. Um,
0: But I would imagine she would do, like, door handles.
1: Right, right. Front door
0: handles, side door handles, in case there was any sneaky third party coming in. Sure,
1: although she wouldn 't have had anybody else 's to compare it right. to it would have just been an, mm-hmm. an unidentified print yeah um, so so one of the other issues with her discussion was that um, Mr. Greer asked whether the, she found evidence that surfaces had been wiped down, mm-hmm. and she mostly said she did not she wear the fingerprint mm-hmm. dust powder. Um, stuck to things. It was because there was some kind of moisture or something Mm -hmm. there. And um, if it had been wiped down, the dust wouldn't have stuck. And she didn't think that any surface she dusted looked like it had been wiped off Mm -hmm. ahead of time to remove any of the the damp or sticky surfaces that powder would adhere to. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, you know, it's after she puts the powder on, then she looks to see if there appears to be a fingerprint to be Mm -hmm. lifted. And then she would do that uh, Mm -hmm. with the tape. And then she puts the tape on a card to preserve it. Um, So there was a a big issue about one of the balcony doors and the Mm -hmm. edge of the door had an area of maybe a foot high in which the powder did not seem to have stuck Hmm. very well. In the the photographs, it looked quite white compared to the surfaces above and below that area, Mm -hmm. which were black with powder. And she said she couldn't tell from those photos whether there might have been very small particles of Mm -hmm. black powder that adhered there and just weren't visible in the photograph. But there was also a different surface embedded in that edge of the door frame, which had huh. to do with the locking mechanism, a okay. little metal plate that would have been inserted into the door when, mm-hmm. when the lock was, was installed in mm-hmm. there in the door handle. Um, so she agreed that the dust powder would probably adhere differently on a metal surface sure. from the wood uh, right. around it. Um, Keith Greer did get her to... I I guess I could say admit that it was possible that area had been wiped off before she powdered it. Mm -hmm. She didn't believe it uh, with her expertise. She didn't think it had, but she conceded that it was possible. Mm -hmm. And that was a big concession that he gained out of her on that one. Mm -hmm. Um, And the door handle too had the knob, had no powder that was mm -hmm. obviously sticking to it. It was one very bit of interesting um, drama in a certain chef's knife that has been seen in court quite a bit. And the uh, plaintiffs have said that the placement of Rebecca Zaha's fingertips on that knife indicate that she must have held it behind her back, perhaps trying to saw the ropes off Mm -hmm. her hands. Um, Those fingerprints had been labeled by one of the plaintiff's fingerprint experts mm-hmm. to show which fingertips each mark belonged mm-hmm. to, the sheriff's latent print examiner absolutely contradicted wow at least one of those prints and said the other one was wrong mm. that that a place where it was supposed to be a an index finger was clearly Rebecca's little finger. Mm. And it called into question then how Rebecca really was handling that knife and the blade Mm -hmm. and therefore to what purpose. The defense theory has been that the knives were up there because Rebecca used them to cut the rope into the lengths that she wanted Mm -hmm. to accomplish tying up her own hands and making the noose. Um, And the implication being that one of the knives didn't work well to cut Mm -hmm. through, so she went and got a second knife to do it. So, so that, anyway, that was interesting that this expert, yeah, contradicted the Definitely. fingerprint analysis of the other.
0: Thursday, I would imagine, was also an interesting, an interesting testimony.
1: Right. Yeah, that was another big day that people were waiting for. Um, Rebecca Zahau's boyfriend, Jonah Shackney, was called to the stand. Uh, he is um, Adam's older brother. And um, the defense called him to talk about the family relationships again and, you know, how and when he met Rebecca and how and when he divorced his wives, Mm -hmm. what what relationships they all had. The bottom line for him was that he absolutely did not believe his brother was capable of violent act like Mm -hmm. that. He he said that would be inconceivable that Adam would do such things. He had... You know insights into Rebecca that had not been presented before. Um, when Rebecca's mother and sister testified, they spoke a lot about her strong Christian faith. She had mm-hmm. gone to a Bible college, and uh, the mother said that they would sing hymns together on the mm-hmm. phone and, and talk about their faith. Uh, Jonah had a little different view of her, that um, she was a little more complicated than that, that she really didn't regard organized religion highly Mm -hmm. and um, only went to church a few times during their relationship. So we don't know if that signified any change or whether Rebecca just um, did these things with her mother in order to please her mother, Mm -hmm. uh, um, even if she didn't feel strongly in those ways. Mm -hmm. And Jonah, Shack, and I also talked about um, some disharmony within their relationships. Uh, his two older children from a first marriage were teenagers, mm-hmm. and they were not getting along with Rebecca as you know, a right. new person in the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, apparently, the teenage daughter was not coming to terms with having Rebecca in in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, there had been other testimony, deposition that, that Dina Shackney had said that the kids did not like Rebecca's strict food regimen mm-hmm. of, of health foods, and they weren't mm-hmm. used to that, and they didn't like it. And, As kids do. Right, right. And and apparently there were conversations in which the teenagers were not very respectful to Rebecca, mm-hmm. and, and that that had worried Rebecca that she was not happy with that. Mm-hmm. Jonah also talked about the fact that he owned boats, and that Rebecca would go boating with him, but he he thought about the only knots she would have known related to boating was to tie the boat up when it was at dock. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing very complicated. And when he was shown the knots that were used on her hands, he said he did not think she would know those kind of knots mm-hmm. um, based on the very simple maneuvers that she would have used. Right. Jonah, of course, was asked about the morning that Rebecca... W- Died. Um, he said that he had gotten up, and his brother calling him and saying, "Come back to the house. Rebecca's killed herself." Mm. Um, what so he,
0: terrible! I just yeah.
1: So he he's left knowing that his son is dying, and that his girlfriend has has died at her own hand, presumably mm-hmm. at that point. Um, and he reiterated he absolutely did not believe that his brother had anything to do with mm-hmm. it, that it would have been completely out of character for him to do anything violent like that. So that ended this week of testimony w- mm-hmm. with with him, and it resumes Monday. Um, Who do we expect to hear from? Yeah, week? we're expecting um, the um, then Chief Deputy Medical Examiner, Dr. Jonathan Lucas, mm-hmm. who would have been in charge of the autopsy on Rebecca Zahao, So that should be a, a pretty big day in court also. Mm-hmm. The defense will ask him to walk through why it was that he came to the conclusion Rebecca Zahao killed herself mm-hmm. in such a bizarre manner. That um, I'm sure Mr. Greer will use the opportunity to ask him you know, to justify those conclusions. Mm-hmm. Anyone um, else we can expect? That's that's all I know. Okay. Um, there may be one or two follow-up defense witnesses, but the defense did say they expect to rest their case this coming week as well. Um, it'll be a short court week. The judge was not available on Thursday, and okay. they have not been in session on Fridays. Mm-hmm. So uh, our understanding is they'll probably do their closing arguments the following week. Okay. And, that, and then jury deliberation will start. Yeah, then um, there'll be a lengthy period of of the jury getting instructions on the mm-hmm. law and how they are to review the evidence and right. and how are they to conduct themselves and how do they fill out the verdict forms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it'll be in their hands to go in a in a room and decide right. what they decide. And in a civil case, you don't have to have 12 in agreement like mm -hmm. you do in a criminal case. They they could have a 10 to 2 decision and that would carry. And also the standard of evidence is not as strong as in a criminal case, Mm -hmm. in which they have to decide that the evidence is beyond reasonable doubt. Right. And not sit there and imagine that there were gloves that were never found or mm-hmm. imagine motives or imagine other people. They, right. they they can't use their imagination in a criminal trial. Um, they're not supposed to just imagine and make up scenarios in a civil case mm-hmm. either. But the standard is the preponderance of evidence. Right. So if they were to look at the evidence and say, gee, so far 50% of the evidence persuades us that Adam is is guilty is in this wrongful death... 50% persuades us that he's not but there's one little bit more of evidence mm-hmm. that slides onto one side or the other and that's all they need for, uh, for 10 of them to see it that way
0: fascinating
1: <laughs> it is indeed
0: we are it's getting even more interesting we're getting even <laughs> closer to the end and I'm
1: looking forward to it right it's a it's, it's a, definitely a cliffhanger at this point oh gosh totally uh Oh, cool. Uh, Pauline, thank you very much. You're very welcome.
0: Thank you. See you next week. Each week, Under the Gavel, we'll dive into the details of the trial. We'll also have stories on our website, sandiegouniontribune.com. Each day, court is in session. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date. And if you can, please rate and review this podcast. It would really help us out and let us know what we can do better. If you have any questions, comments, information, notes, anything... Please feel free to email me at lauren.flynn at sduniontribune.com. This week's Under the Gavel team includes myself, Lauren Flynn, as executive producer and editor. Reporting is by Pauline Reppert. Our artwork is by Gloria Orbegozo and Christina Bivik. And John McCutcheon is our editorial director. For the San Diego Union Tribune, I'm Lauren Flynn. Thanks for listening.